Hey there, you're listening to WIUX LP Bloomington, and this is American Student Radio. I'm your host for the episode, Emily Miles, and I'd like for you to stick around. We have a special show coming up today. Um, blue, mm, <laughs> from, uh, again, live, live, what is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is, this is, this is American Student Radio. Real chill, real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians. So last year we had this 24-hour challenge and we called it Snapshot. A snapshot of Bloomington, Indiana in one weekend. Producers buddied up, picked a start time, and took 24 hours to find, report, and produce whatever they could. It was cool, so we brought it back. And this year, we added an extra challenge. Buy a bottled tea, pop off the cap, and produce a story that relates to the quote inside. Here's what our teams had to work with. The earth provides enough to satisfy every man's needs, but not every man's greed, Gandhi. There is no such thing as too much love. Even too much is not enough, unknown. One does not discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Bipolar, no two ways about it. Jason Owen. When elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. African proverb. The first team to head out was Carter Barrett and Angela Bautista. They got two T's. Under Angelo's cap was a Hamlet quote hinting at the construction of morals. Under Carter's was a Gandhian nod to environmentalism. They flipped a penny, heads for Gandhi, tails for Shakespeare. And there it was, the copper head of Abe Lincoln. It's 1943, the height of World War II. On the military fronts, we are on the offensive. It may be a long, hard pull, but we can face the future with confidence. Even in Tunisia, French North Africa, the military situation looks bright. But at the same time, a political situation has developed which introduces a discordant note into the unity so necessary to our military operations. Okay, now back to the present. Why are we talking about this? So it's the 24-hour ASR challenge. This is Carter Barrett. And Angela Batista. Okay. The earth provides enough to satisfy every man's needs, but not every man's greed. Gandhi. I know. Hmm. So now we gotta figure out what to do. So what does any of this have to do with World War II? Okay, back to 1943. The U.S. has been involved in the war for about two years. And because of the war effort, food had to be rationed. You couldn't buy sugar, butter, meat without a government voucher. That's how we ended up with Victory Gardens. What's a Victory Garden? Well, as a way to help the war effort, the government encouraged Americans to plant these gardens. Men fighting overseas needed to be fed, so people were encouraged to grow fruits and vegetables in their own backyards to sustain themselves. 
Oh, so it was like a national campaign? Yeah, there was actually quite a bit of propaganda with slogans like, uh, food will win the war and dig for victory. Yeah, did a lot of people have these gardens? Well, at its peak, there were about 20 million victory gardens in the U.S. For millions of Americans, it was their way to fight from home. Dig for victory. Young men are doing it, and young women. These girls are using part of their lunch hour to work on plots in their own factory grounds. Old men, even at 83. And children, growing food is part of their school routine nowadays. For they know that food is just as important a weapon of war as guns. So all of this got us thinking. About how community gardens have changed and what they mean now. So we headed over to Butler Park Community Garden. Turn right onto North Jackson Street. Okay, and it's right up the road. You want to take this? Yeah. Huge variety of things that are grown. These are all perennials. So this is a like this is a strawberry patch. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, different things. We'll grow like eggplants, peppers, tomatoes. We talked to Kendra Brewer, the community garden coordinator for Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, a local food pantry here in Bloomington. And why do you think this is an important thing to have in the community? Like, what would be, what would, what would the community lose without this sort of resource? Um, we actually are a big community building resource. That's that's the, one of the. No matter what we're doing, we're really focusing on making connections. You know, amongst people. Um, we're not experts at all of these things here. We're just serving as a place for people to come and participate in gardening and, and home cooking, um, and you know getting emergency food assistance um, in a way that is really dignified and helps people feel engaged with um, the process of, of growing and eating food and, and making it fun instead of a chore. And We also um, headed over to the Hilltop Garden Center and stumbled upon a gardening workshop for kids and parents. If each family wants to pick out a marker, we've what are you saying? Why do you think it's important for your kids to learn how to garden? I think it's going to be a nice experience. They're going to learn how to interact with the environment, touch things. He was like eating broccoli out of like there directly. So yeah, I think that's going to give them a lot of experience, getting familiar with this stuff earlier. <laughs> Hi. Do you like gardening? Yeah. Why? Because. <laughs> because. We also spoke with Jay Powell, who is a program instructor for the Family Garden Program. One thing I like about this program is, is involving the entire family. You really get a sense that it's, it is a community thing and, 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 it, and it kind of brings growing food into a community conversation rather than just my family goes to the grocery store and his family goes to the grocery store. You know, we all kind of can come together. So I, I like that concept of everybody growing to a community pot. So while gardens are no longer tied to national safety, they're still important. Victory Gardens supported the war. Today, community gardens support coming together as part of something bigger. For American Student Radio, I'm Carter Barrett. And I'm Angela Bautista. Producers Bryce Green and Maggie Tully took a gamble and first made their way over to the Wells Book Market Eatery to purchase their bottle of tea. They found out the plastic bottles don't contain the quotes on the insides of the caps. So after a change of plans and rerouting, they headed downtown to end up doing a piece about love, based off Queen's song, 
Too much love will kill you. So we're at our second destination, Laughing Planet off of Kirkwood, they have, they have green an attempt at purchasing tea, an honest tea Moroccan with a 24 hour challenge. Peach Ula Long. I'm kind of curious about the peach. The peach? peach it is. All right, would you like to do the honors? Uh, yeah, sure. All right, opening it. The quote. There is no such thing as too much love. Even too much is not enough. Unknown. A while ago, I came across a song by Queen called Too Much Love Will Kill You. This song was on Queen's last album called Made in Heaven, released in 1995. Though the famous lead singer of Queen, Freddie Mercury, died in 1991 due to complications from AIDS. The song was recorded years before and was originally planned to be on the Miracle album, which released in 1989. So this story of how he was recording a lot of his band's final material while he was sick in the hospital, he would be, he would be unable to stand for brief periods of time and the rest of the band, Brian May and the boys, they would be outside of his room waiting until Freddie felt well enough to, you know, go record some lines. And then he would go record some in this, you know, beautiful voice, then feel sick and be in bed again. And this continued until he died. I, I find that story to be know something of you know pulling people's heartstrings and whatnot yeah. so I, I like that idea yeah. there's a lot there's of a course. lot to that for of sure course. it is definitely the opposite of what the quote means but the quote is just meant to be a guide right that's good to know is what's underneath us right now actually is a record shop there's a record shop underneath us yeah Where are we? I didn't know this was we're in, we figured we'd yeah. pick up people's brains a little bit about queen freddie's legacy and ask some questions if too much love can potentially be a bad thing or is there never enough before heading out to talk to people on the street we stopped by vinyl hunt the store literally right under our feet Look at that. That's, that's some, this is, this is culture. This quote is a much more general sense of the word, like love in its abstract form. There can never be too much of it. And too much love isn't enough. I guess if it's like an obsessive thing, it could be too much. <laughs> it could yeah. really tear some people up, I guess. Uh... You know, you obsess over is a bad thing. So too much love will lead you to make terrible decisions that you'll regret later. Oh, no, that's a tough one. It depends on uh, which side you look at it from. I don't think either of them are wrong. In certain cases, I, th I think that can be true, where there's not, as, not such thing as too much love. Context is important. Oh, no. There's no such thing as too much love. I just think too much is annoying. <laughs> 
I believe that you, without respect, all the love in the world do you no good. And if you can balance those two together, then no, there's no such thing as too much love. But if you can't have respect at the same time you hand out that love, then it's just fake love. One person we met on the street named Jack shared with us an example of how a stranger showed them compassion and impacted their life during a desperate time. Such a thing as too much love. Um, a good example was I got stranded in Alabama while I was uh, hitchhiking, mm -hmm. and I had this woman pick me up from the side of the road. She was a mom herself, and her son was backpacking, and she took me to a hotel. She paid for a night and paid extra for the dogs to stay with me in the hotel room, and then she gave me extra money so I could buy food for myself. And I was literally crying when she gave me a hug and told me to be safe and that she hoped that someone would do the same for her son in the, you know, similar situation if he ever got into it. She just let that love sit in her heart and she helped me out and probably saved my life that night. Well, is there too much love for a person? Is there too much love for the community? Is there too much love for the planet as a whole? The answer to those questions I think is no. If you put out good, good comes back. In some people's responses, they mention their own spiritual beliefs. Love is, a, is so many different loves. Love to God is something else. If you have a faith and you have a belief, this is a different love. I think the, the best way to like live is to just show other people the love that God showed us. I know there's some power behind that. This is a different love, which is I'm in love with that favorite song by Queen? Um, don't Stop Me Now. My favorite Queen song is Somebody to Love. Bohemian Rhapsody. Don't Stop Me Now. In the Lap of the Gods Revisited. In the Lap of the Gods Revisited? I remember hearing that song. I can't remember oh, what album it's on. And the Sheer Heart Attack. Yep. Sheer Heart Attack? Yep. Last song. Closes it out. Some good songs. This is one of, one of the best. I'm far away from home And I've been facing this alone For much too long I'm Bryce Green. The third team got to Laughing Planet Friday night just as the sun was setting and the volume at KOK was rising. So there in the cafe were first-time producer Kenlin Albright, me, a Smith song, and a quote from Andre Gide. Kenlin read it, One does not discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Our piece pushes back, at least for the family we found at the Paintown SRA. Losing sight for just one night can be enough. The darkness, but you can imagine. There are five people at the pebbly water's edge, standing with their backs to an SUV's headlights. They're waving their arms, casting shadows on Lake Monroe. Three children break their poses and run off, tossing sand at one another. A mother and her daughter look into the water, a few quiet words. I just hear like the like waves like hitting the shore and I think that's really nice. And like I just like the sound of silence. I know it's like stereotypical, but like the sound of silence is just calm and you just can let your mind go and you just kind of almost inspire. Like just kind of stare. When you get off of the shore, can you tell me what that's like like as opposed to being like here? Okay, so I'm a swimmer, so I like being out on the water. It's like calming, and like it just you feel like you're floating almost. 
and I just like the relaxing like waves. How far out do you guys like to go? I kind of like to push the boundaries sometimes and go out farther than I think I should and then I, I come back to shore but I go out pretty far. Yeah. And why, why is that? Why do you like to push it? Um, just for like fun. If I'm with like my friends, I'll be like, you want to go out there? And I'll be like, you want to go even farther? So why do you guys come here as opposed to other places? I like the like tranquility of the area. And it's not That's Harley Creighton. She's a freshman at Bloomington High School South. She's my creative child. She's the one that she's very um, kind of introspective and reflective like I am. My name is Andrea Creighton and I'm a mom of two. She grew up in the middle of St. Louis. It was rough. She didn't have a lake to stare into. We're not from Bloomington. It's just nice to make connections. That's a big part of it for me is make connections to not only the land, but the people around the area because we have no history here and we're making our own history. And that's, that's the part I love about it. The kids, I think they're just in it for something to do. And they all have their phones with them tonight, but usually we disconnect and we go out and get lost. They need to be able to just completely unplug and we go sometimes deep into nature. I mean, we've been on some of the trails around here and we like exploring the peninsulas. It's not just about the water, but definitely um, whether it's on a boat or without a boat. Um, and then being here on shore is our favorite place to be. The shore. It's more than where the water meets the land. It's where the daily malaise meets anything else. The shore. We've definitely had moments and months, actually, where I feel like we just kind of um, disconnect from the world around us and we kind of get in a rut. And so that would be our onshore, I think. So I'm a high school student, so I have to get up and go through my daily routine of waking up early, getting ready for school, and then going through that painstaking school day and then coming home. And onshore, basically, like, I would go home and do my homework and then get on my phone because we don't really do anything else besides that but when we do like go offshore we like to go and explore and come out here or like in the woods and I like it. Um, offshore is getting out and kind of exploring outside of our boxes and just really pushing ourselves to go out and find new places to visit and new um, challenges to surmount. I'm not sure what more to say it's just simply about you know, connecting, for me, it's connecting with nature and healing, a lot of healing. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kinlan Albright. And I'm Emily Miles. Producers Hannah Boomershine, Sheila Raghavendran, and Chris Mura got a bottle cap that read, Bipolar, no two ways about it. That made them think about the place between two spaces, two poles, and two directions. They drove around, flipping a coin at each traffic light. Heads meant turning left, tails meant turning right. They ended up at the most literal crossroad, a traffic barrier, and happened upon a mother and daughter who live right next to it. Here's what they had to say. I called uh, him and I'm like, hey, I'm at your house, where are you? But he didn't believe her. He gave me the address to where he was, so I come to some girl's house and he's there with some of his friends. And he couldn't believe it. He just, he kept poking me. He was like, are you, is this real? Am I high? Um, what's going on? This was in Barcelona, but this 21-year-old woman is originally from Bloomington, Indiana. Everyone is like, oh, Bloomington is so culturally diverse, and it is so rich with all of these people. It's not diverse. Everywhere we go and we've been traveling, she's the one that will 
oftentimes meet the the local person. That was her mom, and she said it was no surprise when her daughter flew to Barcelona in January 2016 to work as a nanny. And then I went, and me and the family didn't like each other. We didn't get along, so they asked me to leave after two weeks. Shortly after, she moved in with a girl she met on Facebook and met her love at a club. Ten days later, she moved in with him, but at the end of her three-month visa, she had to return to the United States. So I came back to the United States, and I was heartbroken, and I need to get a free plane ticket so I can be in Barcelona with my love. She decided to become a flight attendant and graduated from her training on June 22, 2016. And the day we graduated, I went straight there. And that's when she surprised him in late June with a visit for a few days. She got back to the United States, and by the end of the summer, she got a call from him. He calls me from Mexico, and he's like, hey, I'm crossing the border. I'll see you in New York in a few days. And he did. They were in New York for less than one week when he was pulled over. I don't even know if he's in a jail or federal. I don't know. He's in trouble. He's been there for seven months now, and she's visited him a few times. They were nice because we got to look at each other and talk to each other face to face. But they were a little sad, too, because I wanted to hold him and touch him, and you can't because, you know, there's glass. Now she's just waiting for when they can be together again, no matter where that may be. I had a life in Barcelona. I can have a life anywhere I go. I'm, I'm learning how to make home anywhere. For American Student Radio, I'm Hannah Boomershine. I'm Sheila Raghavendran. And I'm Chris Mira. Music courtesy HDM and Los Sundayers under a Creative Commons license. Producers Abby Gibson and Nissa Cruz's cap read, When elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. African proverb. The resulting piece focuses on that little attribution at the end. It's about how reducing a culture to land and wisdom can perpetuate stereotypes. In the 70s, I'm sure most people have seen it. A Native American man dressed in animal hides and braids paddles down a river which is full of trash. Then it finishes on the most iconic scene, a close-up of his face as he sheds a single tear. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. This is one of the most classic examples of a trope that pervades many portrayals of Native Americans, the noble savage. In this stereotype, Native people are portrayed as possessing an inherent goodness and purity because they are free from the corrupting influence of, quote, civilization. The first American people loved the land. They held it in simple reverence. This sort of portrayal shows Native people as in touch with nature and almost childlike, they're thought of as the keepers of a better, more pure past. There's disagreement about whether the actor who portrayed the Native American in the PSA was himself Native American. He claimed to be, but others, including his alleged half-sister, said he was actually Italian-American. Even if he was Native American, his approval of the character doesn't mean all Native people approve of this portrayal. Today, his character, called Iron Eyes Cody, is widely criticized. And there's another example of this stereotype right on IU's campus in a stairwell in Collins Living Learning Center. Okay, yeah, so this sweet, sweet wolf mural. And it says, how can you buy or sell the sky, the land, if we do not own the freshness of the air and the sparkle of the water, how can you buy them? And it has these wolves, like, running up the stairwell. Then the quotes continued, the earth does not belong to man, man belongs to the earth. All things are connected like the blood that unites us all. 
Man does not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand. I'm sorry about it, Brad. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. But it's apparently from Chief Seattle in 1852. And then on this wall, we have Treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents, it was loaned to you by your children. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. And that's an ancient Indian proverb. And then this one says, One does not sell the land people walked on, which is apparently from Crazy Horse. In 1875, in both the commercial and the Collins mural, the use of native people and images is probably well-meaning, and for what it's worth, indigenous people generally do have an interest in environmental activism. They lead such movements all around the world. But using any stereotype creates an idea of the way a group of people, quote, should be. And when a member doesn't match the idea, their authenticity is questioned. Issues surrounding Native American identity have become more widely discussed on social media in the past few years. Now the conversation is led by Native American voices more than ever. Not all Native Americans wear headdresses. In some tribes, they don't wear them at all. In my tribe, we don't wear headdresses, and we never did. Women don't wear headdresses, and you have to earn them. Why do you tell me I don't look like a Native American? Should I put some war paint on? Should I make my hair longer? Oh, sorry. I didn't know that white people were the authority on what Native Americans look like. I'm not Native, and neither is Abby. And we ourselves didn't interview any Native people for this story either, mostly due to the time constraints of the 24-hour challenge. But we still wanted to acknowledge this irony and shortcoming. Credit to BuzzFeed, Teen Vogue, and the Keep America Beautiful campaign for the audio from their videos. The music in this piece was created by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Abby Gibson. And I'm Nissa Cruz. Well, that's it. Thank you for listening to WIUX and American Student Radio. Catch us at the same time next week to hear The Call, an episode about bars, delivery drivers, and priests. But for now, have a great Sunday. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American student radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.